Lord Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price, that you were the perfect sacrifice. And God, we thank you that you came to seek and save the lost and that you have secured us with the Holy Spirit. For those that have put their faith and trust in you and have turned from their own way, that you've promised that you never will leave us nor forsake us. God, I just pray that this would be reality in, in our hearts and minds, that we'd be reminded of what Pastor Chris said, that just knowing it in our heads is not enough. But God, that it would become real in our day-to-day living, that you laid down your life for us. And may that cause us to just want to love you and lay our lives down for you. God, we uh, thank you for this service. We thank you that we can come before you. We can come boldly before you and worship you. Worship in uh, music and in prayer. And God, please uh, just prepare our hearts to receive your word. It's in Christ's special name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You know, Pastor Chris uh, said it was strange that he went to a concert. It's not that strange. He didn't tell you what was strange. It's that he drove to South Dakota last night for a concert. That's strange. That's committed. He went, took his boys up to see the Skillet concert, and I didn't ask him what time he got back, but that was, that was strange. We are in Genesis chapter 7, verse 6, and this was a, in many ways it was a, uh, the passage that we're going to look at today was, it's, it's been a real challenge to me, challenge in my own life. Uh, and I found myself throughout the week pointing fingers at people that I know about that are in sin. And then the Lord brought me full circle, going, you know what, bub, I love you, and you're not walking in obedience either. And as we go through this, I want to remind you that, um, that we're, we're in God's Word, and God's Word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword that you can read the same passage a hundred times, and the Lord might use it a different way a hundred times in your life, even though it only says this one thing. And my desire this morning is to bring no offense to the gospel. If the word offends, if the gospel offends, so be it. This is also a message that, in fact, the, the whole, if you, if you think about where we've been in Genesis, it's, it's been about God's wrath and His mercy. God's justice and His holiness. And that He gives every one of us a way out, a way from receiving uh, the wrath that we all deserve. And I was, uh, I was thinking last night about my son Joey. And Jojo, I didn't ask for your permission. There's a trend here, isn't there? But God did this, uh, not me. When Joey was four years old, we were having a family meeting in one of our bedrooms. And we were talking about Grandma T., Grandma T had either just passed away or she, she was getting ready to pass away. And we were just wondering if she was the Lord's because she had walked a life that w- there wasn't evidence of her faith in Jesus. And yet in her final days, we were hopeful that God would have saved her like he saved the thief on the cross in the last minute. And so we went to bed and I'm downstairs and Nancy's downstairs and next thing we hear is, Mom, Dad, Sis, Mitch, get down here. Get over here. So we went in there and he says, he said, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And so we prayed with him, walked through the sinner's prayer, 
and prayed with him that he would receive Christ, that he would ask Jesus into his heart, and that he wouldn't receive hell. I've got a friend that I was my best friend in high school. He was my best man in my wedding. We came to Christ together through Young Life at 15, 16 years old, and we led a Bible study together for middle school kids. And now at age 52, um, he's not walking with the Lord, and I don't believe, I'm going to see him in August, but I, I believe that he would reject Christ as the only way to the Father. And even my own life, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that that I took hell insurance. I took hell insurance. You know, I, I didn't want to go to hell, so I asked Jesus into my heart. And as we're going to talk about, God willing, throughout this sermon today, is that there is no biblical precedent to ask Jesus into our heart. And that we're not saved by merely not just wanting to go to hell. And you probably know people like Joey, like myself, like this friend of mine, that ask Jesus into their heart. But all they wanted to do is be saved from hell. Now, saved from hell, if you know Jesus, you're not going to hell. And you're not going to receive God's wrath. But that is a fruit of salvation. Okay? You probably know people like that. Maybe that has happened in your own life where... You don't, there's no fruit. Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And there's evidence that we're living for Christ when there's fruit in our life. We're not walking perfectly. I'm, I'm far from perfect. I blow it every day, and it's by God's grace that I can continue to, to move forward. And He's covered all of my sins and your sins, past, present, and future. But if there's not evidence in our life that we are living for Christ and not for ourselves, there's a chance that we're not His. And the Lord is going to speak to us in the passage today on this very dilemma. If you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. And just a quick review of where we've been. Chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, he said, go into the ark. Go into the ark. He invited Noah into the ark. Noah knew for 120 years he was building this ark in the desert where it had never rained before, where people probably never seen a boat before. And Noah obeyed. It said that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. Now it was the last command, and that is to get into the ark. In verse 7 of chapter 7, a lot of sevens here, God gave Noah, and I believe all of mankind, a seven-day warning. You remember back when he first spoke to Noah, and he said that I'm going to wipe out, I'm going to blot out man from the earth in 120 years? I'm going to remove my spirit from them? Well, 120 years have gone by, and now there's seven days. Seven days. And he says, get into the ark, because in seven days it's going to start raining, and the waters from the deep are going to come up, and it's going to last for 40 days and 40 nights. And we see in verse 5 that Noah did all that God commanded him. That brings us to today's passage in verse 6, where Noah accepts God's invitation. Where God said, get in the ark. Noah wasn't a puppet. God didn't make him get in the ark. He didn't lift him up and put him in the ark. He asked Noah to get in the ark. And Noah went in the ark. It says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. That's 120 years 
of building this 450-foot boat. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, this is the grace period, after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Noah and his family were certainly going into the ark to escape God's judgment, to avoid an eternity in hell. They were certainly going into the ark to avoid God's wrath. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. And Noah knew that that time of salvation, that time of being saved from the flood, was not going to last forever. The door was shutting. And it was shutting permanently. But it's important to remember that that door, we don't see this when we just read the cute little Bible story, that door was open for everybody. It wasn't just open for Noah, his wife, three sons and their wives. It was open for everybody. But Noah went in. Verse 11, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open. And the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them, what? They entered the ark. They and all kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was breath of life. Let's read verse 16. And those that entered, male and female, all of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut them in. This is a key, key verse. God is the author and finisher of our salvation. It's God that calls us to himself, and it's God that finishes it and sustains it. The Lord shut Noah and his family in the ark, so that they once and for all would avoid the wrath, the coming flood on the earth. That they would never experience that wrath. Everything on the ark survived, and God assured that by securing them in the ark. And it wasn't Noah. It wasn't Noah that shut the door. You see, we cannot save ourselves. We don't, there's, no, there's no good works on the planet that will save ourselves. God called Noah and his family, they obeyed, they answered that call, and the Lord shut them in. Everything outside the ark perished. Have you ever thought about this, what the cost was? It doesn't talk about this in in God's Word. But we know, according to, I believe, 2 Peter 3 or 1 Peter 3, that Noah preached righteousness. We also know that he's building a boat, a 450-foot boat in the desert where it had never rained. And you can imagine if he lived 600 years and his three sons had lived 100 years and his wife was probably close to that same age, my guess is they had some relationships. Wouldn't you think? Living 600 years, you'd have some relationships. And little Shem and Ham and Japheth, you know, they probably had some guys that they hung out with. When that door shut, there was a cost. 
Yes, they were avoiding the deluge. They were avoiding God's wrath. They were avoiding hell. But there was a cost. They knew that once they got in that door, and that door shut, people that they knew, people that he preached righteousness to for 120 years, perished. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm from a large family. I'm the oldest of seven kids, and my mom and dad brought me up in a religious home. I don't know if they know the Lord or not. I don't think they do. I so desire for them to know the Lord, but you know what? There's nothing I can do about it other than to preach righteousness, to stay on my knees, begging the Lord to save them. And when the day comes, we, we all know people that have died without a relationship with Jesus. And there is a cost, as we're going to read about in just a little bit. Bear with me, please. The flood continued 40 days, verse 17. And the flood continued 40 days on the earth. If you remember from last week, we talked about 40 days. Whenever 40 days is mentioned in the Bible, it's usually associated with a trial or a test. When, when Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years after disobedience of not going to the promised land, when Moses killed the Egyptian, he, he was sent out to the, uh, to the desert for 40 years. When Christ, this was not, this was not punishment for Christ, this was a test. Christ was, was in the wilderness for 40 days praying and asking the Lord to remove this cup from him. He was willing to go, but he was, he was being tempted the whole time, 40 days being tempted in the wilderness by the enemy. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And this is just a side note. I submit this to you for your own study. There's two different theories on the flood. One is that it was a universal flood that covered the entire earth. The other is that it was a localized flood. And, that, and quite frankly, there is great theologians on both sides of that. And I am not a theologian. But as I looked at this and as I studied it, it I can't see that it was any other way than covering the whole earth. Because it says in chapter 9, verse 11, that Pastor Chris is going to teach on, I think it's uh, 9-11, where the Lord gives the covenant that he promises to what? To never flood the earth again. And there's been all kinds of floods over the last 2,000 years, hasn't there, that have wiped out mankind, that have wiped out towns. And if the Lord said that he'll never wipe out mankind again, and he was just talking about a localized flood, then he's a liar. And we know the Lord's not a liar. We know the Lord keeps his promise. And it also talks about places where, where he covered the entire earth. So I can't make it work in my mind. I'm not a geologist. I know there's all kinds of carbon dating stuff. And um, study it. Look at it. But I don't see any option other than that this was a flood that covered the entire earth. Verse 21. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Verse 23. You think he wants to make a point here? He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens. Again, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those 
who were with him in the ark. Folks, this, if you show that picture, this is not a fairy tale. Nancy and I went over this this morning, and she says, you know what? She says, I'm never going to teach Noah's ark the same when I'm with children. This is not what's going on. They are shut in the ark. There are people perishing out there. Next picture, please. This is more, and I'm sorry you can't see that, those blue things are bodies. All of mankind perished, spending a godless, lifeless, dark existence for the rest of eternity because they did not turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in the coming Messiah, in the seed of the woman that was going to crush the servant's head. That door was open for these people. And it's open today for everybody. If there's anybody here today that is without Christ, that door is open. And this is real. He is waiting. The door is open. There's no second chance. Once that door is shut, there's no second chance. I was driving here this morning on 392. Fire truck passed me on the side of the road. There's a, there's a, anybody else see this car? I don't know who it was. It's I, boys, I thought it was one of you guys at first. This car is mangled on the side of the road, down the ditch, rolled, and there's a guy sitting just bloody on the side of the road. That door is going to shut. It's going to shut on every one of us. It's either going to shut when we take our last breath, And I'm talking to you that don't know Jesus, and I'm also talking to you that are in Christ, that know people that are out of Christ. That door's going to shut. It's going to shut when they take their last breath or when Christ comes again. There's an urgency. Let's take a look at verse 24. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's, Let's back up a minute. What did God tell Noah about the flood? His family was going to be safe in the ark. That he was going to blot out, wipe out everybody else on the face of the earth. Everybody that did not take the opportunity to enter the ark. He also told them that the flood was going to, the rain was going to last 40 days and 40 nights. Here we are in verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The rain started in the 17th day of the second month. The waters ended in the 17th day of the seventh month. 150 days. And what is Noah? And we don't really ha- we don't have any record of God communicating with Noah until sometime after that 150 days. So what is Noah thinking? Rain stops after 40 days. It is 41 days, 60 days, 120 days. The water, and he's still in the boat. And he, he didn't have God's word to to fall back on like, like we do, at least the written word. He does have God's spoken word to fall back on. And the only thing that I know that he could be thinking about is God's character and God's promise. Because he doesn't know when he's getting off that boat. And many of us have been, have been saved. We've been, we're in the ark. God firmly has us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And we're wondering when we can get off this crappy earth. Because there's stuff going on in our lives that we don't like. You know, my guess is there's things going on in Noah's life on that boat, namely things that animals are doing in a closed-in ark. It had to be stinking in there. He had to be second-guessing a little bit. You know, what's it look like? 
when this boat lands. But the only thing that we can hang on to and he can hang on to is God's promises and God's character, who he says he is. And he's faithful, he's trustworthy, he doesn't break his promises. Once we're in the ark, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Are you in the ark? Are you in the ark? The ark is a clear picture of Jesus. There's only salvation in Jesus, our ark. Did you know there's civilizations that actually have a cross in their church? And you know what's on that cross? An ark. Because it's such a vivid picture of salvation in Christ. And that that door is shut to never open again. I understand we have some missionaries here. Glad you guys are with us here today. I don't know what it's like in, in France or Azerbaijani or wherever else, but in America, what I sense is going on is an easy believism. We so want little Johnny or little neighbor to pray that prayer. To pray that prayer with no cost. Now please hear me on this. I heard a lady say the other night, and she's so right, that God doesn't clean his fish. In other words, he doesn't say, clean up your act and then come to me. He says, come to me in all your messiness. But there's a cost. And that cost is obedience. And I believe that the church in the world is full of people that ask Jesus into their heart and they're headed straight to hell because there's no fruit. There's no cost. And there's always cost in obedience. In the last 12 hours, in the last 12 hours, I've been involved in two marriages that are crumbling because the guy feels like he can do anything he wants to do. One is having the affair, and the other is in nonstop pornography. Hour after hour. And there's a cost. And I want to tell you this. I don't want to exasperate you. God gives us the power. He gives us the power to overcome sin. But if there's sin in your life that is without conviction, that's kind of the key. If there's sin in your life that's without conviction, you need to ask the Lord, am I yours? Am I yours? Because God convicts of sin. Let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Let this soak in a little bit. This is God's word. This isn't Dan Hardy. This is God's word. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's the point. He wants families to get along. He doesn't want strife between father and son and mother and daughter. But the point is, is that if we love people more than we love God, here's what he says, is that we're not worthy of him. 38 and 39 of chapter 10 of Matthew. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Folks, that's the gospel. Yes. If you're in the ark, if you're in Christ, you're never going to see God's wrath. But it is not easy believism. There is a cost. He says to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily. And the cross is a sign of death. That we're to die to ourselves, we're to die to our own agendas, and to follow Him. 
Okay. Here's the good part. It's all good. If you keep my commandments, this is uh, John 15. And by the way, for anybody that does not have a place to meditate on God's Word, if you're kind of stuck, you're, not, you know, you're just not in a good spot, read John 15 this week over and over and over again. It says in 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So there is joy in obedience. And I was talking to a a dear brother of mine before the service, and one of the things that I get caught up in and he gets caught up in is that we, we just don't want to go through the motions. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to just get caught up in doing what I what I have to do. I want I want to do I want the want to to be in me. I don't want to just meet with the Lord because I have to. I want to do it because I want to. But somehow that obedience, that obedience fosters joy. And even though that there are, there are people perishing, if you are in the ark, if you know Jesus, there's nothing to be more joyful over. He said there'd be trouble in this life, and there is. There's trouble in this life. If you're here today without the Lord, and you know it, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, talking about Noah's days. He says, They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. It's a party. It's a party around this country. It's a party in the world. As we accumulate more and more stuff, it's a party. We're, we're, we're marrying, we're, we're, we're breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. It's a party. But next time when He comes, He's coming with fire. This, this His word's not mine. He's coming with fire. And if you don't know the Lord, can I, can I just beg you to get in the ark? Get in the ark. Because there's no greater joy than knowing that you are His. Last verse I'm going to read. Did I say that already? Luke 13. I'll read the whole thing, 13, 22 through 27. Jesus went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying through Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. The wide door. You know what the wide door is? Jesus, will you come into my heart? I don't want to go to hell. And, uh, and I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. You know what the narrow door is? There's a cost. And I want to say this here if I forget to say it. We live in a great country. I love all the fruit of this country. I love boats. I love having savings account. These are good things. I love to snowboard. I love to ride my motorcycle without a helmet. And the Lord wants us to enjoy these things. But we don't have a right to these things. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm a new fly fisherman. I think I'm categorized as a fly fisherman. I've done it once, and I've got the gear. And and I haven't caught a fish yet. (laughs) But I enjoy this stuff, so please hear me. And this, this this is the dichotomy that we're caught up with, is that to enjoy the fruits of this time and place that the Lord has put us in, 
but to know that we don't have a right to them. The only thing that we have a right to is to spend eternity in hell. But God saved us so that we are now free from sin, the sin and the guilt of sin. Once we're in Christ, He shuts us in. We're safe from the wrath of God. There is a, a, a short paragraph from a guy by the name of Hugh Miller. And I don't know who Hugh Miller is, but I'm going to take his stuff and give him the credit anyways. And he says this, Noah did not close the door. There are works that God keeps for himself. The burden is too heavy for the back of man. To shut that door on a world about to perish would have been too great a responsibility for a son of Adam. Another moment and another and another and another might have been granted by Noah, and the door might have never been shut. And the ship that carried the life of the world might have been swamped. The boat may have never made it. And so it is in the ark of salvation. It is not the church nor the minister that shuts or opens the door. These, the church, you and I, do God's bidding. We preach righteousness. We offer salvation. And it is God that shuts and opens that door. Oh, what a sigh and shudder will pass through the listening universe when God will shut the door of the heavenly ark upon the lost. Church, that's our responsibility, is to preach righteousness. Preach it. To be on our knees begging the Lord for lives and calling people to Christ. God will open the door and he'll shut the door. Let's not be characterized of making somebody pray the prayer. Let's be faithful in presenting the truth. We're going to spend some time in communion just reflecting upon what the Lord has done for us. And if you could bring that next picture up, I'm sorry. I just needed a visual today. It looks like Christ is struggling there. Imagine he struggled a bit because of the pain. But he left the Godhead. It says in Philippians 2, he left. He humbled himself and became a man. He walked a sinless life knowing that he would end up here. This is the story from the beginning of creation. This is the story. This is what they look forward to in the book of Genesis. This is what the Israelites look forward to when Moses was writing Genesis. This is what we look back to, is remembering what Christ did for us. There's nothing that any of us did that's bad enough that he couldn't take it. He took every one of our past, present, and future sins, every one of them upon himself. And God the Father poured his wrath out on Christ. For you and me. He laid his life down for us. That's the best news on the planet. And this little happy guy is shouting like we should be shouting. Is that we're free. We're free from the penalty and the guilt of sin. And sometimes I don't know how to walk this way. Because I'm burdened for people that are perishing. I'm burdened for people that are outside the ark. But I take great comfort knowing that the door is open still. It's not shut. And knowing that I'm firmly in the ark. That he'll never boot me out of it for anything I did. And that his Holy Spirit gives me the power to overcome sin.
So on the, the night before Jesus was betrayed, when Judas betrayed him, he took the bread and he said, so when you eat of this, do this in memory of me. Remember what it is I'm about to do for you. And he said, take the cup, drink from it. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. And the new covenant is, is that there's, there's no works involved. And would you, just on your own, just to come up and take the elements and then go back to your seat and we'll take, uh, take communion together.